Brick Moon Fiction presents Three Score Years and Ten by J.B. Toner. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. There's two kinds of people in this world. Those who think you can divide everyone in the world into two kinds of people, and those who don't. Me? I fall squarely into the former category. Call it narrow-minded if you like, but it's kept me alive for a long time, against some very long odds indeed. You see, it would be an exaggeration to say the Cold War never ended, but not much of one. That fight had no flames because most of the battles happened on bank statements and microfilm. Spycraft, subterfuge, secrets bought and sold. Now, believe it or not, I was a young man once, and in those days I was one of the coldest of warriors. Back then you survived by acknowledging only two kinds of people, decent, loving, God-fearing folk, and commies. And yeah, the wall came down in 89, and that was nice. But none of the spies took a holiday. My name's Bob. Bob the Spy. Not very dramatic, I know. But for one thing, that's kind of the point. And for another, well, it's my name. What are you going to do? I retired from the spy game ten years ago, upon somehow reaching the improbable age of sixty. All my best friends are now stars on the wall at Langley, and after decades of lying about my work and whereabouts, I'm not even close enough with my family to be estranged. The good news is, I made some very well-informed guesses on the stock market when I hit middle age, and I'm now extremely comfortable at St. Bernadette's Retirement Home. It's a posh facility in upstate New York, full of wealthy old bachelors waiting around to see what kind of cancer they're going to get. And oh yes, that brings me to the bad news. I already got mine. On the morning Ivor came, I was downstairs in the lounge sipping Bailey's Irish cream with a splash of strong coffee. It was early December and snow was on the way. Not a flake had fallen yet, but the sky was a flat white roof from east to west and all my old bullet holes ached. This was going to be a pale and silent deluge. You might scoff at this, but I knew he was coming before he entered the building. Something in the pit of your stomach learns to know things you have no way to know. I glanced away from the giant picture window, curious but unconcerned, and watched him signing in at the front desk. He came pacing through the tastefully carpeted common room, a huge hook-nosed Cossack old enough to just barely remember the siege of Leningrad. He wore the old cloak-and-dagger trench coat, embellished with the ludicrous pastel name sticky given to visitors at St. Bernadette's. It was like putting a bow tie on Cthulhu. "'Hello, Ivor,' I said cheerfully. "'Pull up a seat. Let's have a drink. How's your brother these days? Still dead?' How's that working out for him? Bob, his voice was a gulag, you think I come to kill you? Afraid you're too late for that, Tavarish. I heard. Brain cancer, yes? Inoperable. Yeah, so go ahead. Blow the corpse off my ghost. You'll be doing me a favor. Duh. But why do favor for my worst enemy? Shits and grins, I guess. If you're not going to shoot me, then what the hell do you want? I come to tell you, I will not kill man who would welcome death. First I fix you, then I kill you. Fix me? You've got dementia, old man. We will see. He turned and walked away. 
Outside, the first few flakes of snow came drifting down. A few hours later, three guys in black suits came to see me. I was back upstairs in my room, gazing out at the storm. The white roof had become a white wall, and I didn't envy the junior agents who had to drive the higher-ups around in this weather. Sister Louise showed the suits into my room, looking unhappy. They did not have name stickies. I'm so sorry to bother you, Mr. Case, but... It's all right, sister. I thought they might be stopping by. She withdrew, shaking her head. Gentlemen, I said, waving my glass of scotch by way of welcome. Pardon a sick old man for not getting up. The one in the middle spoke. Special Agent Robert Case? I was. I'm Special Agent Miles Forthright. He looked like we're supposed to look. Nondescript. Forgettable. But there was barely noticeable scar tissue around his eyes and a long-heeled break in his nose. He used to box. Are you familiar with this man? He held up a photograph of my old nemesis. Is the Archangel Michael familiar with Lucifer? Ah, uh, probably. I'm not Catholic. Ivor Grigorovich Spetskul. We spent a great many years trying to kill each other. He nodded. Our intelligence indicates that he's been in contact with you. Good to see the new generation's on its toes. He was just here this morning. Did he mention anything about stolen technology? I frowned. No, nothing like that. He just... Wait. What kind of technology? Classified. You don't say. I thought you were here about my pirated copy of Turner and Hooch. What exactly did Ivor say? What exactly did Ivor steal? Forthright glowered at me. Agent Case, I'm not here to play. Show me yours and I'll show you mine. That's as it may be, but you have nothing to threaten me with. By all means, take my feeble cancer-riddled ass out back and waterboard me. I'll be dead in five minutes and you'll have nothing. If you want to see my metaphorical penis, Agent Forthright, I'm afraid you've got no choice but to drop your metaphorical trousers. One of the younger agents ducked his head, struggling not to crack a smile. Forthright kept up his glower a few seconds longer, then finally heaved a sigh. All right, all right. I trust you're familiar with the term top secret. Rings a bell. There's a clandestine branch of R&D called Project 1213. Their mandate is to investigate fictional technologies and determine whether they can be made real. I raised an eyebrow and sipped my scotch. It's less crazy than it sounds. Jules Verne predicted submarines and space shuttles. Asimov predicted AI. Hell, the Titanic was raised from the ocean floor by a guy who got the idea from Donald Duck. Okay, so what sci-fi gadget has Ivor gotten his hands on? Shrinking tech. I finished my drink. It sounded like you said shrinking tech. Three days ago, he infiltrated Project 1213 and secured a functioning prototype of a vehicle that can reduce its own size and that of its occupant to a submolecular level. We had no leads on his location until this morning, when our facial recognition got a hit from the camera in your front lobby. Huh. And now, Special Agent Case, I believe you owe me a glimpse of your withering old genitals. Luridly put, Special Agent Forthright. Ivor said he'd heard about my cancer. He said he wouldn't kill a man who'd welcome it, so he intended to, quote, fix me first. He didn't say how? 
No, but in the light of what you've just told me, Forthright's glower returned. But he wasn't glowering at my face anymore. He was glowering through it. Once shrunk, the vehicle has highly advanced intrusive capabilities. A thousand to one, he's already inside your brain. Next life, I've got to get into meteorology. It seems to be the one job where you can be dead wrong half the time, and people just shrug and go, eh, weatherman. Thank God that's not my proctologist's business model. I mean, yes, the forecast called for snow, but it sure as hell didn't call for the heaviest nor'easter in 25 years. It was like Siberia was following Ivor around. By early afternoon, the roads were impassable. Then you could forget about air support. Agents Forthright, Clyde, Staunton, and I were on our own. Forthright was out in the hall, on the phone with his superiors. Clyde and Staunton were leaning against my kitchen wall with their arms crossed. I was still in my chair, sipping another glass of the Glenlivet, trying to process the fact that my archenemy was currently driving around the inner wall of my skull. The front door opened, and the two young agents instantly reached for their weapons. I didn't react at all. What difference did it make at this point? But it was just forthright coming back in. He motioned to the others, and they withdrew into a corner to confer. I raised my glass to take another sip. And suddenly, there was a voice in my head. Clear as a loudspeaker. Do not react. Go into bathroom. Now, I'm sorry to brag, but I am one tough son of a bitch. I've seen and done some harrowing things over the years, and I don't startle easily. But the voice made me jump so hard that half my scotch flew into the air, along with the single melting ice cube in the glass. Luckily, the voice's owner had picked a moment when all three agents had their backs to me. I got up, dabbed at my damp pant legs with a nearby napkin, and headed for the john. Forthright glanced over. Where are you going? he asked sharply. Draw an inference, Agent Forthright. You can tag along if you like, but this time the penis viewing won't be metaphorical. He'd already assessed the terrain and knew the bathroom had only one door and a window too small for a man. He nodded and returned to his conversation with the other two. I locked the door and sat down on the toilet. Hello again, I said. Oh, yes, I knew that voice. Hello, Bob, said Ivor from somewhere in the depths of my synapses. I thought you should know. I have just intercepted call from Agent Forthright. His superiors instruct him to stand by for kill order. On you. Huh. I have a recording if you wish to hear. No need. I believe you. They're probably trying to figure out a way to remotely override your vehicle. If they can't do that, destroying my head is the next obvious move. They can't have you running off with their shrink tech, after all. You are not upset? I shrugged. You and I both know how the game is played, Ivor. Looks like you don't get to kill me after all. Perhaps. You have pre-planned escape routes from building, duh? Don't be an ass, of course I do. But while I'm flattered that you envision me overpowering three armed agents with my toothbrush, is no worries. I am Maxis, your adrenal gland. You will have short bursts of energy. Nearly superhuman. How the hell do you know how to do that? Controls are very user-friendly. Are you ready? 
to attack members of my own agency so I can live long enough for you to murder me? Would you rather die fighting your enemy? Or be put down by your owners like old sick dog? The beat went by. All right, I said, unscrewing the rubber head of my toilet plunger. Do it. Remember the angriest you've ever been? Or the most excited, or the most fucked up on sugar, caffeine, or amphetamines? Something overflows inside your chest, fills your stomach and throat with fire, clenches your teeth and fists, and makes you want to run and jump and scream. That happened all at once, tenfold. My conscious mind shut down, and I was off the can and out the door, howling like the haggard hosts of hell. Agent Clyde spun to face me, drawing his weapon. I smashed the wrist of his gun hand, then crushed his orbital bone with the butt of my plunger stick and burst his left eyeball. Staunton grabbed the stick with both hands, so I let go and seized him by the jacket, shoving so hard that both his feet left the ground as he slammed into Agent Forthright. The three of us crashed into my bookshelf, collapsing four shelves and showering our feet with books and magazines. I heard three muffled shots and felt a dull pain in my floating rib, and I realized that Forthright had fired straight through his own man to hit me. I ripped my stick out of Staunton's dying hands, dropped to one knee on the plush red carpet, and swung for the fucking rafters, clipping Forthright's patella so hard it popped out of his pant leg and ricocheted off the wall. He hit the ground, screaming obscenities and firing wildly. I took another round in the shoulder, and it knocked me on my ass. I snap-rolled backwards, got to my feet, and sprinted for the door as Forthright clawed for the backup weapon in his ankle holster. I keep myself in shape. Even without the adrenaline blast, I could have gotten up the hallway and down the stairs in a matter of seconds. But with it, I was in the basement before my doorknob punched a hole in the wall. There, the vent cover. Grabbed it, ripped it off the wall, and flung it like a frisbee. Inside was the material for escape plan Foxtrot. Snowshoes, brandy, and a Glock 9mm. Yes, I have a snowshoe-based escape plan. There's only just so many hours of matlock a sane man can watch in one day. You've got to keep busy somehow. Clock was rattling off the nanoseconds. Forthright would be hobbling down the stairs any minute, possibly with 50% of Agent Clyde on his six. I know my way around a firefight, but there's a reason I retired when I did. Mortal Kombat is a young man's game. Forthright had shot me twice already, and the adrenal charge had taken its toll. I was beginning to feel the weight of fatigue. If I could make it to the greenhouse, I'd have a chance to lick my wounds and catch my breath. Otherwise, my own heartbeat would kill me if my fellow agents didn't do it first. I strapped on my shoes and headed out into the storm. Even the St. B's maintenance team didn't know that the greenhouse had a false floor beneath a panel in the back. All I had to do was get inside, haul the potted plant back over my little dugout, and get a couple of field dressings onto my injuries. Then I could stay down there until Forthright searched the greenhouse and moved on. With the snow as heavy as it was, there'd be no footprints to follow. I was almost there, when I felt a sudden pop in my forehead, and blood came gushing out of my nose. I stumbled and fell to a knee. And then a voice behind me. Agent Case! I turned, raising my Glock, but he got off the first shot and hit me in the bicep. 
I dropped my weapon and flopped into the reddening snow. This just wasn't my day. Agent Forthright came limping toward me, leaning on a mopstick crutch, dragging his mangled leg behind him like a mangy tail. Psalm 90, Agent Case. The days allotted to a man are threescore years and ten. You've had a good run and you've put up one hell of a fight. You should die proud. And you should live in shame. You're betraying a fellow agent. No hard feelings, he said. It's just the job. He raised his weapon, and then he exploded. Where Special Agent Forthright had stood a moment ago, an eight-foot metal pod now stood. It was covered in steaming gore, and the bits of Forthright were scattered around it in a ten-foot crimson radius, including the bucket of entrails in which I had just been bathed. The pod opened, and Ivor Spetsgul stepped out. Congratulations, Bob. Your cancer has been cured. I spat out a mouthful of Forthright's blood and shit. Well, aren't you a peach? You now have something to live for. And now your life is worth taking away. It's an old movie cliche. Why does the villain keep talking instead of just killing the hero when he has the chance? People ask this question because they've never committed murder. The truth is, there is no deeper connection between two human beings. No meeting of souls more final and absolute than when you look into another man's eyes and take his life. God forbid you ever find yourself on either side of that equation. But if you do, then trust me. You're going to say something first. Das Vidanya, Robert Case. There was a shudder and a roar, and everything went white. I woke up in the trauma ward at St. Bernadette's. Sister Marie was clucking and fussing around with my charts, and I had an IV in my arm to match the handcuff. Three fresh new men in black suits were standing by my bedside, looking solemn. Mm, I said, mm, what the fuck's going on? Special Agent Case, said the guy in the middle. My name's Special Agent Lockheed. Yay. We're here to apologize for the severe misunderstanding which occurred yesterday afternoon. Three of our agents went rogue and tried to eliminate you on their own authority. Oh, is that what happened? Luckily, you seem to have evaded them long enough for another team to arrive and secure the premises. The stolen technology has been recovered, and this incident is now considered closed. Where's Ivor? Spetskul is dead. We were able to remotely override his vehicle, causing a massive short-out which electrocuted him instantly. Agents Forthright and Staunton are also deceased, and Agent Clyde is in custody. Oh, give the guy a break. You and I both know he was just following orders. That may be taken into consideration. You're a credit to the agency, Case. I'm well aware of that, Agent Lockheed. Would you mind uncuffing me, please? Of course. He gestured to one of the junior agents, who produced a key and took the manacle off my wrist. We just didn't want you running off before we had a chance to debrief you. Protocol, you know. I know, I know. It's just the job. Enjoy your retirement, Bob. And with that, 
Lockheed and his cohorts were on their way. I leaned back into my voluminous pillow, feeling the pleasant warmth of morphine in my veins, and smiled. The Old Testament gives a man seventy years to live, and here I am at seventy years of age. But with my cancer gone and my oldest enemy dead, I think I'm just about ready to start living. J.B. Toner studied literature at Thomas More College and holds a black belt in Ohana Kilohana Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu. He and his lovely wife just had their first daughter, Ms. Sonia Magdalena Rose. Toner writes when he can, drinks when he can't, and tweets at Antihero Couplet at Twitter.com in between. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at BrickMoonFiction.com. Thank you for listening.